Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is our 530th show. Our noted guest for today is the ROI team, which is going to consist of Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. And our topic is the most frightening of things. And they, of course, will be joining us through the entire show. So let's begin it off now. Um, we call the first segment Fabrook Tanarin, and our goal is to give the listeners a little background on today's subject. So, Jay, being that you've always loved the ghouls and the goblins and all those special characters, can you start us off with your inspiration? What is the most frightening thing uh, besides um, Britney Spears joining Kiss? Give me something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I have to mention, first of all, the, the, the inspiration for the show was simply that tis the season for lists yes every time i turned every time i looked at at the youtube every time i looked at um news outlets and whatever that i do social outlets that i do everybody was doing a list of the 10 scariest movies the 30 scariest books the 50 scariest historical events and i thought wouldn't it be interesting for us to do that to to just have a show that's nothing but lists and we can talk about what we find to to fit those categories um and uh and see what that what that looks like and and what we think of each other's uh choices because the fun thing about lists always and we've done a few of them now with ROI is that there's always disagreement mm-hmm. you know and so then it becomes this wonderful debate and we've talked to people who do this sort of thing for a living and you know the funnest part of it is that for them is getting feedback from whoever is taking in their lists and saying well how could you possibly have forgotten such and such or not put it on the list or how could you have that horrible whatever it is that shouldn't be there so i thought you know what let's let's um let's pick some fights maybe and uh and see if we can uh, can come up with some different kinds of ideas Okay, so you got your first ones here. What are you throwing out there? Well, I I wanted to kind of start, or I thought it would be good to start with the the basics. So let's start with books, um, scary books. And again, there's no predefinition here. So what I qualify as scary may not be what Terry qualifies as scary or whatever. And so I just thought we'd start with a couple each of us. And then kind of just argue those points, and then we'll we can go deeper and deeper and as we go along. So for me, the scariest book I've ever read is a short book done in the 1950s by Shirley Jackson called The Haunting of Hill House. And what makes that book so terrifying to me is that there is absolutely no monsters or gore in the book. It is purely psychological. And I'll give you an example. My favorite little short scene of the book is um, two ladies are going to bed in this haunted house. Hill House is a haunted house. Um, And by the way, the book, if you haven't read it, it's worth looking up just the first paragraph. Because I think it's the best paragraph, opening paragraph in English literature. It's absolutely amazing. If you're trying to to set the tone for a haunted house book, this is how you do it. But anyway, so these two people are going to bed in this haunted house, and 
they they lay down they kind of go to sleep they're woken up in the middle of the night and there's something pounding on the door and i mean by pounding i don't mean knocking i mean you they can see the door moving it's about to cave in it's pounding it's pounding it's pounding they're terrified it's pitch black they they can't see across from them all they can you know get is this reverberation and whatever and so the one girl reaches out grabs the other girl's hand um, for mutual support uh, and this goes on for a while and then it stops as abruptly as it started and the two women are terrified exhausted whatever they just kind of collapse back into their beds they go to they fall asleep in the next morning the the one girl wakes up our heroine wakes up and looks over and the the bed is empty so she she gets up she goes downstairs the other lady is downstairs drinking coffee and um she says oh my god uh can you believe what happened last night that was so terrifying and the other look lady looks at her blankly and says i got up like an hour after we went to bed i couldn't sleep or whatever so i came downstairs i've been sitting down here by the fireplace i've heard nothing all night and you're left who was she holding hands with no. okay it's never described there's never a view the door never caves in we have no idea what was knocking on the door what we're left with the only thing we have is what was in the bed across from her that she was grabbing its hand Okay. And to me, that's just a terrifying, there's no gore, there's no, you know, gotcha moment or whatever. It's all in your head. And I guarantee, you know, for me, that that's what makes a truly terrifying book. So, so that's my, that's at the top of my list. Terry. So the top of my list would be The Road by um, <laughs> Cormac McCarthy because yeah. it's post-apocalyptic. And you don't know exactly what's going on. You don't know what has happened, but you know it's something has devastated this part of the world. And it's about a father and his young son. And he's trying to get his son to safety, but he doesn't know where safety is. He, he just knows he needs to be on this road, but it's full of lawless individuals who are more frightening than any monster or ghoul. And trying to get to perhaps to the coast, which might be might, may or may not be safe. And it's just... Yes, horrific. It's suspenseful. It's also, there's physical terror, but also psychological terror. Um, mine was, and then we'll end this segment after this one, uh, when I was a younger lad and I read Frankenstein because I had my head that it was going to be the monster and it was always the monster and you had the Hollywood images of the tall zombie with the bolt. And then when you read the story and you, it, it's not, the monster is definitely a factor, but it's even, I mean, because I read it like when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, that this was humanity that was the big issue. And when I was reading this um, in a totally different sense, but it was an intense times. You had Russia, the Soviet Union, United States, you know, they were at each other's throats. And you were sitting there when I was reading, I was thinking, is there um, a Victor Frankenstein somewhere out there? in a place that we don't know that's pushing buttons that is creating this monster that you know the what is the aftermath and Shelley's book is so beautifully written and it's truly a masterpiece but when i read it the images of the you know the boris karloff movies was there in the beginning and then you realize that that really is not it at all it was quite a teenage awakening 
to what the classic literature was. And I must admit, I even to this day when I see the kids with the or the people dressed up as Frankenstein doing the Hollywood co- the Halloween costumes, I'm like, that is so wrong. <laughs> but, you know. Well, and and I to, to put a, a cap on that, I loved Frankenstein because, and it's been so misunderstood. Yep. The monster isn't the monster. No. He's the hero. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's the salvation. He's he, the y- hero. Yes, Victor yes. is the monster. Yep. That's the guy who's the monster, and, and nobody gets that. I no. mean, in all the movies, you very rarely... Once in a while, there was a, a hallmark of all people, a hallmark uh, who did um, who did a, a remake of it, who got it right, who really did understand. And they had a fairly famous guy whose name, who was a character actor, whose name escaped me, who played the monster and played it really well because he did play it as a completely sympathetic character. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, talk about a, a great novel misunderstood. Well, the uh, the other side, it was with Kenneth Branagh did it years yeah. ago. I was thinking, okay, this is the guy that's going to get it right. And it's it was better than most, but at the end of it, I was thinking, he's having an argument with Hollywood Studios saying, you know what, we know what you want, but that's not going to sell. Yep. We are going to go halfway, and they brought it back in, and it was just, I always thought it was a joke. Yep. So we'll have a lot more to talk about things that are scary, and please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI and KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. of joy in moments of grief broadcasters come through even when all else fails today with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined we are the local broadcasters of radio and television reaching more people touching more lives brought to you by the national association of broadcasters and this station Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of the show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is the ROI team, which consists of Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. And we're going to talk about talking about the most frightening of things. Uh, we've all come up with lists of books or other um, publications of uh, that we've read in our youth that really just, um, and other things as well, that really kind of frighten us. And we're going to give Terry the floor. What was your other book or other things that frightened you in your youth or even now? Well, if we can talk about a movie, yep. the most frightening movie for me <laughs> goes back to 1953, Invaders from Mars. And I'm really? sure it's comical <laughs> today, but I was a child and we watched it at home <laughs> on black and white television. And I would say for almost a year, I did not sleep on my stomach <laughs> because basically the story is about an invasion, an alien invasion, um, where they take over the, the human different people by putting a needle in the back of their neck and i don't know why that was so scary but horrible <laughs> well and it's okay so i had to i had to get a fist pump from terry because this falls on my list too and it is if you go back and look at it hilarious 
Probably. <laughs> and what makes it even more hilarious, this is definitely a 50s morality, because what the marsh, what the moon men yes. are injecting those poor human teenagers with is alcohol. <laughs> They're making them drunk. <laughs> yes, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. And what could be more terrifying in the 1950s than a town full of drunk teenagers? I mean, it's but but the scare the beginning of that movie is absolutely terrifying and it I had problems for years because what happens is you have the again, think of all the tropes you can imagine, right? You have the teenage couple parking, making out in the woods. Okay. And she hears something out in the woods. She hears sounds. She fights him off. She says, I, I, I need to leave. So he's angry, right? So he jams the car into drive, stomps on the gas, roars out, and immediately something flashes in the headlights and you hear the crunk and then the car runs yep. over it, right? Okay, so he's terrified. What did I hit? So they get out, and they're looking around, trying to figure out what the body is or whatever, and the, you cut, and this is all black and white, remember, right? Yep. You cut to a severed hand, and the severed hand slowly, like a spider, crawls over to the car, to the tire of the car, and a needle comes out from underneath the fingernail, and it punctures the tire so that they can't get away and i mean i slept with my bed against the wall <laughs> and my leg my feet covered because they go for the ankles we know that right oh yeah okay and and with my back against the wall so that i could see because i knew mm -hmm. that hand was gonna come crawling up oh yes oh yes the sheets right you know and I, I mean, it took years for me to get to the point. And then I went back and saw it as an adult and I died laughing because it is so, and, and in the end, you know what, you know what saves them? Sunlight. Oh yes. Because we all know that if you're, if you're really smashed, right? If you just go out and sunbathe for about 20 minutes, the hangover goes away. You <laughs> That is not scientifically proven. Um, not that I ever, my children have told me not. Uh, my movie came um, in the early 80s. Maybe um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember watching that because in the very beginning, you know, you're off in the middle of nowhere and they're in a spot where there are no people, very few people. Yeah, it's Antarctica. And Antarctica and things just... The way it's set up is because all the forces of nature that normally can stop any creature, they're not working. When he starts looking at the cells and the frozen, because they're up there and they've been they've been in the ice for years, right? Who knows? And it, they're still alive. They're not frozen to death. Then when he takes the torture and you know flame torture and torches it, and they check the cells again, and they're still living and they're still mutating. Seeing that, and then the aftermath, like with the dog when everything's coming out. Oh my God, I was through the roof. Um, John Carpenter, of course, was famed because I mean, he would take. Um, he was pretty cutting edge, if I recall, special effects wise. Um, well, and that's the thing you have to remember that that movie is done before CG, right? And when you go back and you see what they did, and it was all mechanical. I mean, it was yep. all puppets and whatever, and, and what they were able... You really... It's as good 
as any seat. Now, it's been remade right. in the last few years, and they didn't improve it. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't no. do a better job, and um, you know it's a it's a um, oh god, who's the the uh, Russell uh, Kurt Russell? Yeah, he's the he's yes. the the main the and, and he's perfect. He's just come off of these action movie things, right? And he's no longer Disney's pretty yeah. boy doing the movies, yeah. yeah. And and so you know he he's just the right amount of dangerous. To to make the, the the thing work and yeah I just I yeah I would agree with you that's one of my favorites uh, of all time ever um, and it was almost comical I'd like to have been there because when Carpenter must have been talking to studio executives and if let's say Mel Brooks was here and you'd say what's the most frightening thing he'd probably say dealing with movie executives you'd probably have <laughs> sure. that up there yeah. and and to sit there and say I got this. Real kind of simple idea, and I'm going to be dealing with this. They must have been looking at him like, how much does it cost? And he pulls it off. I mean, he yep. really does. And and the really interesting thing there is the movie's a flop in the box office. Right. It, it's not like because it was too yep. gross. Yep. And and so it kind of got labeled as a slasher movie, even though there was nothing about that. And it isn't until as time goes by, it, it garners more and more and more of that of that sort of uh it combined haunting fear with aliens in a totally different yeah. direction yeah because there was no solution every whether it's war of the worlds there's always a solution and carpenter sets up in the beginning that there is no solution here right and that terrifies the hell out of you well and at the end when they finally destroy the alien in order to accomplish that our main character essentially has to commit suicide he's stuck right. the last scene you have is him and stand, sitting in front of a, a barrel fire in antarctica in an antarctica night and and he's he's freezing to death you can see that's the solution because he can't be sure that he's not that he wasn't infected right so he can't call for help he has to 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 commit suicide and it's very few movies before that movie had an ending where there was no happy ending. Right. You know, where where you didn't have, where your hero ultimately doesn't overcome. Even some of the really slasher movie, like Last House on the Left, which was just gory beyond belief, had an, there was a happy ending. At the end, the family drives away, you know. And so it's a very interesting that, that there's, you know, he chose to give you no... You know, and by the way, the road does the same thing. It does. You yes. know, I won't spoil anybody, yeah. but you know, there's no happy ending at no. the at the end of that book no. either. By no. the way, um, so I was going to talk about. Yeah. For me, it seems to me like like we part of this list process should be just movies that were very different, that that just that just stepped across the lines, um, and I can think of two that 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 um one is about to become an, another movie a, a fourth version um and the other doesn't i you know was a big phenomenon but we don't really talk about it more and, and that's the exorcist in the 1970s right and then the blair witch project yep. in the 1990s where those were two movies that really did it completely different. Nobody had shown you the kinds of things that The Exorcist shows you. I remember going to the theater and people running out of the theater when 
um, the main character throws up all over the throws pea soup up all over the the that the shock and and the religious connotations and so forth and so on. I remember people running out and Blair Witch. I remember seeing that one in the theater, and people couldn't stop talking through the movie. You couldn't get them to shut up because this idea of of a first person movie because it's all filmed as if the the individual it's the the camera bounces when they're right. running and all the rest of those things and people were talking to the film you know and and it was just it was such an interesting experience going back and looking at it now it doesn't look that you know it's not that scary because there isn't much going on again you're just kind of it's really just kids running around in the woods well <laughs> on your point there it played off of individual shadows yeah, because whenever you see the shadows, it's usually you're there's the person, a slight shadow, and then you see the monster. There are the shadows. You don't know what's in there, and they don't stop. And you're right because it's always in the first person. It I, th- I always thought it played really great on the blind sides. Everybody has a blind side, yeah. and you don't think of that. And when you're filming through that, especially with the and the breath, you know, we always breathing hard, and there's that fear because. Where is the monster? Theoretically, it's in the blind side. It's uh, as um, uh, I was joking, going to say, and I'll give it back to you. When you I, when you're talking movies of this, I thought what was the scariest things? As a kid, it was always the behind the furnace in the house, and I think that, oh and, sure, and, and yeah, that was, and it's the same kind the, of yeah, that's yeah. What, yeah, that's what that's what the Blair Witch Project was. You're yeah. not going to go behind the furnace, and it took that and it did it for everything, and that was always terrifying for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, what's yours? Is the next one. Well, I was going to also agree with The Exorcist. I still remember that. I saw that in Chicago with my aunt, and she started off by saying, oh, this is a, a good movie. Let's go see it. It sounds really popular. Oh, my goodness. And then I had to drive home from Chicago to Iowa City, and then I babysat for my two young uh, wow. niece and nephew. Right. And unbeknownst to me, my sister had gotten some mice in the house, and there was this scratching sound going on inside the walls. <laughs> The children are asleep. I'm downstairs. I'm like, what is this? So, yes, I remember that vividly. Per- perfect timing. Perfect timing. Um, a movie that I always throw up there because it was always one of my favorites, and you got to have Hitchcock somewhere along here. Yes, you do. But um, the thing about Psycho that was always so – I mean, I saw it in high school. We saw it for a class. And uh, in a different way, he's kind of doing years ahead of Blair Witch, but – it's the it's the um, monsters, what appears to be in mother's head, that are always there. The mother is always freaking out and doing these things supposedly. And then when you find out that it's not mother, yeah. it's it's someone else. And the closing scene with Norman Bates, and he's in the cell, and they're they're psychologically assessing who he is. And to give, I don't know how Anthony Perkins was not nominated, because the way he looks up, and if you hadn't seen the movie and just see that clip, and there, you know, the fly, he's, he's mentally struggling with the fly. I wouldn't even hurt this fly, and then how he stares into it. It is just terrifying, and I've showed it to my kids, uh, who are, of course, um, 30 years younger than me, and they are like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. Huh. 
And, you know, it's black and white, and it, it, there's so much we could pick with Hitchcock. So, um, all right, is there, besides uh, books or movies or something? Well, I was just going to mention, though, he mentioned The Fly, and I'm talking about The Fly, okay. the horror film from 1958. Oh, from 50, yeah. And, and some of those black and white movies were just horrific. Yep. Um, but another one, since we're talking about psychological terror, was The Bad Seed, mm-hmm. the original. Yeah. And that is one where, you know, where is the monster? As we were talking earlier about Frankenstein, is the monster actually within, inside of us? And what was yours? Um, so I, I thought if, if we wanted to just sort of trade up a little bit and, and leave movies and books behind, mm-hmm. I thought it might be fun because there's so much of it again going on at the moment. What about scary songs? Um, because I have a handful growing up as I did in the late sixties and early seventies. Um, Alice Cooper, who was sort of a shock glam sort of artist, um, did a, a, um, an album called killer and three of the scariest songs I have ever heard are on that, are on that album. He has a song called dead babies which is about um, a, a mother, a neglectful mother, who allows her kid to basically overdose on some medication. Um, and then there's Killer, which at the end has a uh, execution scene, a hanging scene. You can hear the, you know, the the drum roll beats up, and then you hear the trap door open, and then you hear a, th- you know, the the body, the the body impact. Um, and then there's another song, which is, was an homage to, um, to James Bond called Halo of Flies, which has all of these really fascinating imageries and whatever. And I thought, you know, those are great, scary, you know, in the tradition of, you know, telling stories by, by music. Those are great, scary stories. And, and there is, at least in rock music, very much a tradition of that kind of thing, whether, you know, and we could pick on a lot of the lists, um, something from Black Sabbath always seems to pop up on, on a list like that. Something from Metallica always seems to pop up on a list like that. So I thought, are there any songs that you, that you can remember being really frightening songs or songs that really kind of got in your head and you couldn't, you couldn't get them out of your head? Um, in a totally different sense. Um, my family would kind of surprise you. They liked, we'd always listened to a lot of music. And, of course, classical. And when I was a kid, I'm not saying it's scary, but it, it was always the pulse. Beethoven's fifth, just, you oh, know, the fait accompli. Sure. When you hear that the first time, and if you're hearing other, I mean, this is just... My my uncle would play it, and you'd hear kind of like you know, um, uh, Haydn's simple things or so forth and so on. But when you hear that, and I always wondered when they must have been in the concert hall when they heard that song for the first time, when Beethoven has got this pulse that no one has really ever had before. With the, and that is what my friend who's the classical expert said is going from classical to romantic. That is the bridge. And you have the fait accompli, which is, you know, death at the door. That's the, that is the term that was there. It never hit me, but when I read about that, where here you are when you have no, what we would consider modern technology, and, oh, you're just going to go to a 
concert, and next thing you know, you've got this pounding song that the it, the tempo never eases off, and it's a constant through the entire song. And then it has joyous sub- celebration. I often thought that just must, in the beginning, scared the hell out of a lot of people. Well, and classical music has a long tradition. Night on Bald Mountain yep. would be one of those... Um, Box Tricata and Fugue, Fugue would be yep. another, although that's associated with a movie that's associated with Phantom of the Mopra is why that right. goes to, but that certainly has that, um, you know, so, so yeah, there's a, there's very much a classical tradition of, of making scary music. And I'm sure it was played in churches at night. Where it had sort oh, of the yeah, atmosphere, light, right? Yeah, all of that. So that's what we see now. That was the reality, yeah, Terry. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was going to just add, yes, certain theme songs for movies, and because they use the bass or they use the drums, and it, what it does, I, physically, it actually reverberates through your body, and it's scary. I mean, that's why they use drums during war. Well, and remember Michael Oldfield in The Exorcist, Tubular Bells was a terrifying. Oh God, yes. You know, or the the theme music for Halloween, remember, and John Carpenter actually wrote that himself on the piano. So yeah, absolutely theme music. When we come back we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on St. Ambrose University, KALA 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 530th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zapzaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guests for today's show, Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. And the topic was the most frightening of things. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.